Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelions.com, and as always, I am joined by the one, the only, Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back. I hate to say it, but we're like halfway done with the season. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel terrible, Brett. Like, talk about starting the show on a down note. Yes, I I realize the same thing. Every single week, Brett, on, on Sunday morning, as I'm updating the power ratings and I'm updating, you know, the graphic title for that week's power ratings, and it says week six. And I'm like, wait a minute, week six? We only play 12 games. I know we got off weeks in there and everything, but I'm like, Notre Dame's played six games already. Their regular season is halfway done. Like, it's crazy, dude. It feels like we just started. It's a blink of an eye, and it's gone. This is why we have to cherish every single college football Saturday. This, among other reasons, of course, as we've talked about. But yeah, man, I'm with you. I hear you. I don't know how or why or when it happened. But all of a sudden, it's October. We got a ton of midweek games starting up, which is exciting. But that also means halfway through, man, like we got to cherish this, dude. Well, so to make it a little bit more positive... We do start the 49 days of football from now until the day before Thanksgiving. We will not have to endure one single afternoon in which football does not grace our televisions. And even then, we have the night before Thanksgiving, which get out to the bars. That's like the number one bar night, I think, in the country. And then Thanksgiving kicks off rivalry week. So we won't have to wait too long um, before we get more football. But before we dive into the weeknight slate for week six, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter or X at the lines US. I am at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll still be here every single week breaking down the college football slate, as well as individual weeknight games, which is what we are here to do today. Kelly, we are going to know Conference USA like the back of our hand. America is going to know Conference USA like the back of their hand because we're getting the same six teams, eight teams playing over and over and over and over again. Uh, I love it, though. I'm I'm not going to complain. They're new teams to me. They're new teams to me as well, Brett. And how about this? So Conference USA, yes, they got their Tuesdays, their Wednesday midweek games now starting up, kind of doing the the Conference USA action. I don't know, Coos action. I don't know what we're <laughs> calling it, kind of like the Maction. But either way, it's starting here in October. I'm excited about it. There's only nine teams in this conference. Of course, they're going to add Kennesaw State next year from the FCS ranks as well. But here's the thing, Brett. Only seven of these teams are eligible for the conference championship because Jacksonville State and Sam Houston are in their transition window from FCS. So, yeah, we're going to talk about these teams over and over, and it's even smaller of a field that we're going to talk about with regards to their postseason chances, which truly is a shame for Jacksonville State. I mean, this is potentially one of the contenders in the in the conference if they were eligible. Uh, Sam Houston having a little bit harder of a go of it, but they'll be good long-term, I'm sure. So, yes, I'm excited about it. Conference USA doesn't get enough love. It's been decimated, let's be honest. It's been decimated by conference realignment. It's the conference that I feel most bad for short of the Pac-12, which is coming here in 2024, for what has happened to it. But hey, they picked themselves up. They've added some new members from the FCS ranks, from the independent ranks. And here we go. We've got this coos action and let's do it, man. Well, let's talk about two teams that are indeed eligible for the conference championship game. I don't know if I'd go as far as to call them contenders, however. We do have Florida International, the FIU Panthers, on the road at New Mexico State. The home team Aggies are six and a half point home favorites, and it carries an over under of 48 and a half points. This game kicks off on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. The total has come crashing down. It opened up at 51. I think it, it maybe touched 51 and a half, but it has been a one way affair after that. New Mexico State, they run the second slowest pace among non service academy schools. That is 30 seconds a play. Kelly, they're taking forever to get the ball snapped off and running fewer plays per game. FIU, they're about FBS average in play, uh, in, in pace, pardon me. 
They're fairly decent on defense, so I do understand where this movement comes from. And to be honest, if it didn't move off its spot of 51, I'd probably be betting it myself because 51 is the second most frequent occurrence in point totals in the last five years of college football. This is also going to be a ground battle from both of the teams. Each of them are top 36 nationally in rush rate, so they do prefer the ground game over the passing game. For FIU, that's uh, a little bit more apparent as to why, but I will get to that here in a minute. Um, Like I said, I lean the under. I'd probably still lean the under, although uh, two and a half points off the opening mark is a little tough for me here. If we're talking about FIU, they won outright in Las Cruces last year. That is back-to-back trips uh, to New Mexico here as uh, two touchdown underdogs. That was the pre-Diego Pavia breakout. Uh, After that, he started to go on a tear. This year, uh, Pavia has continued that tear. I think he's still a gunslinger. 11.1 yards per attempt. The last two games, he's thrown four touchdowns, no interceptions, and only one turnover-worthy throw. That's against Hawaii and New Mexico. So, could have better competition, but FIU, I don't think, is a huge step up from either of these teams here. And he's also a solid rusher. We know that. 4.45 yards after contact average is actually third most nationally among quarterbacks. But, Kelly, he has no rushing touchdowns. He's the only quarterback in the top 32 in yards uh, yards after contact without a touchdown. FIU just came off a game in which they allowed 364 yards on the ground of Liberty. Talk about a mashing uh, on the ground there. Not great. They also allowed 251 yards on the ground to North Texas a few weeks ago, too. So this is a team that's not putting up a lot of resistance uh, in the ground game. And because of that, opposing rush, uh, opposing offenses, pardon me, rush more than 54% on these guys. So it's clear what the game plan is to beat FIU. Uh, one that Louisiana Tech failed to uh, to take advantage of the first week. And then after that, people are like, oh, okay, we'll just line it up, push them off the ball and get our rushing yards here. They also do allow rushing yards to athletic quarterbacks. Pavia, I think he has an opportunity to pick up some yards on the ground. Now, I alluded it to earlier. The reason that FIU is so run heavy is because freshman quarterback Keon Jenkins has the lowest completion rate at 54% and the most drops from his receiving core among the Conference USA quarterbacks. New Mexico State, they're really poor tackling team. They're fourth worst nationally according to PFF's tackling grades. Kelly, get this. They have missed 80 tackles through their first five games. That is the second most nationally to only UConn. Uh, Brett, you've got some amazing stats in there. And for me, this this game, you mentioned it, they're teams that are eligible, but they're not contenders for this conference championship. Uh, both teams were off last week, so there's really no rest advantage here to be talked about. But FIU is traveling across a couple time zones uh, to get out to Las Cruces, as you said, two years in a row. Doesn't usually happen, but when you have as much conference realignment and, and shakeup in membership as Conference USA did, that's how you get this. I have New Mexico State minus 7.5 in this game. It's a 71% win expectancy. At 2-3, and three, New Mexico State has 0.8 fewer wins than I projected to this point in the season, with the loss at home to UMass in Week 0 still being the primary reason why. Uh, additionally, the Aggies' chances to reach six wins have decreased from 56% in the preseason to 44% currently. The defense has been worse than expected. It currently ranks number 129 nationally. That is last in the conference and among the worst in the entire country. All of that said, though, The Aggies' overall power rating is up more than 1.5 points from the preseason, and their ranking is up from 126 to 117. This is due to the offense being much better than expected, Brett. Currently ranks number 69. That's third in Conference USA uh, behind the two favorites, Western Kentucky and Liberty. For FIU, they're 3-2. 
That's 1.5 more wins than I projected through five weeks. It's number nine nationally on my list of overachievers, that plus 1.5 differential. Upset wins over North Texas at home and on the road at UConn are the two primary reasons why. But either way, the Panthers have spent uh, one week at the bottom of my power ratings already. That's number 133 out of 133. They're currently number 131. That is last in Conference USA. This offense is number 123. The defense is number 112. Because New Mexico State's defense is so poor, I do think FIU might be able to score some points in this one. I just don't think the Panther defense is going to be able to get enough stops against this Aggie offense to earn the upset win on the road. So bottom line, I have New Mexico State minus seven and a half. It's a 29% chance that FIU picks up their first conference win. Brett, usually I like to give, you know, what is what do my numbers think this game does on the conference championship odds? This game is projected to have minimal impact on the conference title odds due to Liberty and Western Kentucky's projected relative strength within this conference hierarchy. Yeah, the, you mentioned that UMass win. It's not looking that great. Allowing 28 points in the fourth quarter. I know it was a 48 uh, total combined score in fourth quarter, which was fun. Allowing 41 to UMass, who now has not accumulated a win since. And sits, by my numbers, last in power ratings. That That That's has re- not aged very well. UMass number 133 for me as well. And yeah, I mean, when, when you lose when you lose a game to the worst team in uh, FBS um, at home, yeah, it's yeah, just not very home. good. Yeah, the market favored New Mexico State early. That did jump up from about minus five and a half at open. My only lean would be to the under, like I said, slow pace, run heavy. FIU is inefficient on the ground. They're 114th in rushing success rate. And I think has a good enough defense to keep New Mexico State within reason. I'm not going to say shut down. I'm not going to say stop, but to keep them within reason, of course. Um, I'm going to take a peek at Diego Pavia's rush yards when that's offered, if that's offered. My goodness, we're here on Tuesday uh, at recording Tuesday night, and I still don't see any props up for that. Really, anything under 40, I think, or so would be a play to the over for me. That might be wishful thinking. Uh, But yeah, Pavia over rushing yards potentially and uh, under that point total, even though it's dipped. Moving forward, but still staying in Conference USA, we have Western Kentucky, a six and a half point road favor at Louisiana Tech. This game has an over under of 59 and a half points, and it kicks off Thursday night at 8 p.m. on ESPNU. This line opened at Louisiana Tech plus seven, and uh, that was scooped up almost immediately. If you were really quick and very lucky, you may be holding a Louisiana Tech plus seven ticket. Uh, otherwise, we saw some resistance for Western Kentucky come in at minus five and a half. Now, back up to six and a half. There is a rain chance in Ruston. Uh, it's tapering as the day goes on, though. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on this game, but do know that there is potential rain in the forecast. Talking about Louisiana Tech, their quarterback, Jack Turner. That's right, not Hank Bachmeyer. Jack Turner has been starting in place of Bachmeyer because he has been injured. And uh, Turner hasn't been great, but neither has Bachmeyer. Bachmeyer has actually been atrocious this year. And I think the, uh, the change there has been a net zero, maybe a half a point difference, in my opinion here. The wide receivers haven't helped him out either, though. They have seven drops in the last two games, and that is when he took over as a starter. I don't know if it's necessarily seen the ball come out differently. I don't know what the deal is, but they have a bunch of drops. Last game at UTEP, which was a 24-10 win, mind you, he only had a 45% completion rate, two turnover-worthy throws, and get this, three balls bad at the line of scrimmage. Jack Turner's six foot five. That there should be zero balls bad at the line of scrimmage when you're six foot five. He just has such a low release and throwing it into the line. That's not great, and he was also sacked twice. Malachi Corley, we know the name well, Western Kentucky's top receiver. He has 41 targets over the last three games alone. 
but they're still using him almost exclusively as a yards after catch guy, yak guy, which is fine. He's really elusive, very, very good with the football in his hands, but a low A dot, low yards per reception. He's not really accruing the the production perhaps outside of targets and receptions. Uh, he's almost an extension of the run game at this point. Like they just fire that ball out to him uh, because their run game at Western Kentucky is is very bad. It's really inefficient and they don't try it very much. So their version of the run game is, hey, let me throw a flash screen out to Corley. Let me throw a bubble out to Corley. Maybe a little bit RPO action. Uh, just get the football in the hands of your best player. Louisiana Tech, they have a corner named Willie Roberts. He's absolutely locked down. He's only allowed seven receptions on 30 targets this season. And get this, these aren't inaccurate uh, attempts. Sometimes the targets are inaccurate. They go out of bounds, whatever. They get dropped. No, no. Willie Roberts is forcing incompletions on 44% of targets come his way. That is the highest in the nation uh, with a minimum of 15 targets. He's all He is a wide corner, though, so he's playing cornerback out wide, playing the wide receivers, whereas Austin Reed really hyper-targets his slot guys. That does include Malachi Corley. 40.6% of his targets are going to the slot so far this season. Depending on the personnel, you get Michael Richard, uh, Cecile Singleton. Those are the primary slot defenders for Louisiana Tech, and their slot coverage has actually been really solid across the board. For me, that's that's a matchup I'm really focusing on for Western Kentucky's offense. I expect a lot of dime personnel on Thursday, and uh, the matchup, again, really great in this, this case. I'm excited to look at, I'm excited to watch it, Louisiana Tech's pass defense versus Western Kentucky's passing attack, that is. So, Brett, as we talked about earlier, since Jacksonville State is not eligible for the Conference USA Championship game, this conference race for me is really all about Liberty and Western. Uh, however, if there was to be a third team in the hunt, by my numbers, it would be Louisiana Tech. In this game, I have Western minus 6.5 to 73% win expectancy. Hilltopper offense is the best unit in this game. They rank number 68 nationally for me. That's second best in Conference USA. The defense has been slightly better than expected. Uh, they rank number 96 nationally. That's up from number 107 in the preseason. So we're not talking about a world beater, but better than preseason. That's always a good thing for teams. Like Western, the Louisiana Tech offense is the better of the two units. They rank number 91 nationally. And while this Bulldog defense has improved, I projected them to be worst in FBS coming into the year. Uh, they are still the worst unit in this game, but they're up to number 120 nationally. So at least they're not last nationally anymore. Uh, they're second to last in the conference still. Bottom line, uh, I think the Western offense is just too much at home. I have Western minus six and a half. It's a 31% chance that Louisiana Tech uh, gets to three and O here in conference play. Excuse me, on the road, Western here on the road. Um, for what this does to the conference championship game projections, because I have Liberty and Western Kentucky power rated so much higher relative to the rest of the conference that actually win or lose, Western is going to remain number two in the odds here, and Louisiana Tech is going to remain number three, given what these teams have in front of them. Currently a 75% chance that Western makes the Conference USA Championship game. If they win, that jumps to 82% chance. If they lose, falls to a 53% chance. So now it's almost a 50-50 proposition, whereas right now it's three out of four. Louisiana Tech, they're at 23% currently. A win bumps them to 43%. A loss drops them to 13%. So Louisiana, given where we are with the power ratings, if Louisiana Tech realistically wants a chance to make it to this Conference Championship game, I really think they need to get this win because then they'd have that tiebreaker over Western and Western would have to, you know, have a better record, not just the same. Um, assuming we don't get some three-way tie with Liberty in there, which I don't think we will. So Western's in a good position. A win here basically cements them in there and Liberty's kind of already in that boat given what their power rating is. So um, this could, one way, one way or another, this game is going to dictate how exciting the Conference USA race is moving forward, at least from a number standpoint.
Yeah, for the aggregated power ratings that I use here, uh, Liberty, I have them rated about five and a half, six points higher than Western Kentucky, who's another eight and a half points higher than Jacksonville State, who's ineligible, who's another point and a half above Louisiana Tech, just to give kind of the spread there. And then between Louisiana Tech and UTEP, who I have rated last, uh, about a touchdown spread between all the rest of the teams in Conference USA. So it really is a one or two horse race, depending on your view. Uh, if the books do end up offering Malachi Corley reception props, not receiving yards, but receptions, uh, it's almost an auto bet for me. Anything under nine, uh, just to kind of target share of these getting, he's getting 11, 15, 13 targets a game. Uh, so I would probably bet anything less than nine. I'd bet over that. Now, look, Louisiana Tech's numbers are pretty good on defense. Uh, well, I, well, sorry. Louisiana Tech's numbers are better than expected on defense is what I should say here. Uh, that's the more appropriate way to say it. But the average offense that the Bulldogs have played this year rank 84th in EPA per play. Now, there's a pretty stark difference here versus teams that are over 90th in EPA per play. They're allowing 39.5 points per game and just 18.3 points per game uh, against the others. Uh, Western Kentucky's 48th. I'm probably looking to over 33.5 team total points for the visiting Hilltoppers. And they're also really good on early downs. Uh, they're 11th in uh, early down EPA. Louisiana Tech is 36% on third down conversions. That is 91st. Uh, so there's a little bit of a lopsided measure there where, you know, are they converting their third downs? Are they not? Interestingly, though, I'm not a big trends guy, but I will throw it out there. Sonny Cumbie is 3-0 outright and 4-1 against the spread as a home dog in the last two seasons in Ruston. Okay, now we're moving on to some big boy football. Not that I don't love the other football because I do. Uh, we're going to be very intimately familiar with Conference USA moving forward this year, but we're moving over to the Big 12. We have Kansas State, an 11.5 point favorite now on the road at Oklahoma State, and this game carries an over-under of 54.5 points, and it kicks off Friday at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN. This also opened pretty low with Kansas State minus 7. Uh, and the market was all over that. It's still climbing. Now we're even in dead space. It's moved uh, off of 7. It's moved through 10 and climbing yet. Kansas State, they get Christian Duffy back. He's the right tackle. This is his first start of the season. He's an NFL prospect. This is a very big get for them. They're also returning Treshawn Ward, uh, who missed last game. But it's been the DJ Giddin show in the backfield. He just carried the ball 30 times for 207 yards in their last game against UCF two weeks ago. Uh, but Duffy's addition is big because Oklahoma State, they're not great, but there's one thing they can do, and that is rush the passer. So you're shoring up that right side a bit more with an NFL prospect. Uh, weather forecast says this may be a little bit of a windy game, at least to start. 15-mile-an-hour sustained winds, that will be tapering to below 10 miles an hour by the time the second half rolls around. Now, I would normally look for a first quarter or first half under. They're giving me 27-and-a-half, not 28, so that wasn't that exciting. Uh, if you do have 28, it's really heavily juiced, something I'm not terribly interested. The other thing is Oklahoma State is a complete dumpster fire. There's no two ways about it. They lost to South <laughs> Alabama 33-7. They allowed 34 points to Iowa State, who was 124th in offense. I mean, in the Kansas State game last year is kind of what kicked things off for Oklahoma State. Their downward spiral. They Kansas State beat them 48-0. Uh, Will Howard threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns, and they just really haven't recovered since then. The Pokes will be starting Allen Bowman at quarterback. Uh, Mike Gundy said that on Tuesday that he's been getting about 60% of uh, the starting reps and the other two quarterbacks are getting 40%. I'm not really sure why anybody else sees the field. Uh, this is probably the worst quarterback room in the Power Five, but Bowman is still the best, by, by my estimation, by a very, very healthy margin. I don't even know why it's a question, to be honest. Against Iowa State, 
last time out, they had six plays per drive. And uh, that's a defense that just allowed 50 a game last week against Oklahoma. So they're going not quite three and out, but they're, but they're not moving the chains very often against the Cyclones. Coverage has been the main issue for the Pokes. They allowed 350 passing yards to Rocco back. To, like, seriously, he's averaging 184 yards per game outside of that. And they allowed him to throw for 350. So it's not setting up well against Will Howard and a talented Kansas State offense. Even with the, uh, even on the road, the win, that'll taper. Look, I, I'm looking to Will Howard's passing yardage here. Uh, it's probably going to be pretty lofty, but I don't know that there's a number, as long as it doesn't start with a three, that I'm not willing to bet over here. Neither team is great against pass, though. Kansas State, they've allowed 600 yards through the air in their last two games. The difference for me is the buy-in. Kansas State feels put together. Oklahoma State is absolutely falling apart. They do not project well. And the Wildcats can defend the run, and their offense, in my opinion, is exponentially better. So that's kind of how I shake things out. How do your numbers shake this one out? Yeah, Brett, I liked some of your classifications of these two teams, and it's hard to disagree. Now, both these teams were off last week, so again, they should be fresh, and that's good because you got a home stretch now of, what, eight straight games for each of them, all conference games. Uh, so get ready, buckle up. This is the start of what's going to be uh, a tough stretch for both these teams. My numbers have this pretty clear. Um, but my numbers have been off in this range before, and they will be again. I have Kansas State minus 13. Uh, it's an 82% win expectancy. Kansas State's a really good football team. I have them power rated number 19 nationally. It's the third best in the Big 12 behind only Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, I think those two teams are playing this week, maybe. I don't know. I haven't heard much about that game. I'm sure we'll get to it on a future episode, Brett. May, may, um, may not be important. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about that one. But for this game here, the Kansas State offense is top 10 in the country. The defense is number 35. The Wildcats have outscored their opponents by 4.2 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team against their schedule. That's number 14 nationally. And that's really good. Um, with no Oklahoma on the schedule, Kansas State is only projecting as an underdog in one game the rest of the way this season. That's at Texas in Week 10. They have a 1-4 in four chance to reach that 10-plus regular season win mark, which is really, really good for the program in Manhattan. Yeah, and I just want to jump in really quick. Kansas State fell out of the AP poll. They lost one game on a walk-off 60-whatever-yard field goal to Mizzou on the road, and all of a sudden, they're just being discounted. They're being tossed out. I haven't heard anything about Kansas State. The fact that they opened as a seven-point favorite here, yeah, go go back if you need to hit the, the rewind button a couple to hear what Kelly just hashed out there. Kansas State's still really good, guys. They are really good, and I agree with you, Brett. I do want to make one distinction, one that we've made many times. I have them power-rated number 19, like I said. Their most deserving ranking right now Given the schedule they played, and again, they've only played four games. Many teams have played five, so that gives you a better chance to have a better resume. Their most deserving ranking for me right now is number 35. Um, so I wouldn't have them, quote, ranked either if I was filling out a, an AP poll ballot. To be fair to those voters, I, I rag on them quite a bit. I want to be fair when I can. Um, so that's where they are right now. There are opportunities, though, for Kansas State down the road to pick up big quality wins, ones that I think would put them in my most deserving top 25. And they're going to be favorites in those games. That's, that's the important thing here as we project forward. This is a really good football team, as you said. Uh, turning it over to Oklahoma State, a team that <laughs> I believe you classified as a dumpster fire. Um, I, I'm not going to go that far, but it's hard for me to stop too much short of that. At 2-2 two and, two, and with 0.8 fewer wins than expected through five weeks, 
I'll say this. The season has not gone as expected in Stillwater. Uh, the Cowboys' power rating has fallen 6.8 points since the preseason. That's the sixth most nationally in the negative direction, the direction you don't want to be going. Um, as a result, their chances to go bowling have decreased from a staggering 83% in the preseason. I, I had a 5-6 and six chance they'd go bowling in the preseason. That's down to, that's down to 21% chance currently, a 1-5 and five now. I mean, that's a huge swing. This offense is much worse than projected. They're now number 74. That's the second worst in the Big 12. And the defense is simply FBS average. They're number 64 nationally. Oklahoma State is the only Big 12 team, Brett, that my numbers do not project to be a favorite in any remaining game this season. I had to double check that. I was like, really? Because they're not the worst team in the Big 12, but they're actually pretty darn close by my power ratings. Um, yes, winning on the road is the hardest thing to do in college football. I've said that before. I'll say that again. But the Wildcats have the advantage on both sides of the ball in this one. I expect them to come out and get the win. Bottom line, I have Kansas State minus 13. It's an 18% chance that Oklahoma State uh, moves to 1-1 one and one in conference play. All else equal, Brett, uh, Kansas State is the primary contender to Texas and Oklahoma. They currently have a 34% chance to make it to Arlington if they win. It only rises to a 37% chance because, again, they're expected to win this game with an 80-plus percent win expectancy. So the, the the projections are already baking in essentially you know, eight-tenths of a win. You get that extra two-tenths. It's not going to improve your projections that much. So they'd stay third with a 37% chance with a win. With a loss, it would hurt because it would be an unexpected loss down to a 16% chance, which is actually still third, though. That's again, goes to show you what the numbers think of Kansas State's power rating. And for Oklahoma State, it's a less than 1% chance, kind of regardless of outcome. So uh, this game, to me, all about Kansas State. Can they avoid stubbing their toe on the road? Are they not looking ahead to that game in Lubbock next week, which is going to be against a more talented team, even though Texas Tech record may not reflect that? That is a, a highly uh, power-rated team. So don't look ahead. It's hard to win on the road. But Kansas State, just take care of your business, and you'll still be in that hunt for Arlington. Yeah, the Big 12 has just been a real big disappointment this year, especially after last year, how good it was. Just not, It feels like there's Texas and Oklahoma, and we just said Kansas State's a very good team. But like you said, maybe looking ahead to Texas Tech, Texas Tech has been a big disappointment. TCU, just coming off a loss, inexcusable loss, in my opinion, to West Virginia. It's, it's bad news in, in the Big 12, in my opinion here. And, and really, this just feels like a take-care-of-business game for Kansas State. Uh, I don't love laying the points since it's moved through seven, moved through ten, well, moved off seven, moved through ten. Uh, yeah, like I said, you, you can get juice if you want to lay the first half of Kansas State. It is juice, but it is minus six and a half. That's probably my favorite lean on the board here. Uh, Oklahoma State, like I said, it, dumpster fire, but like projecting <laughs> forward. They beat Central Arkansas, who by my measures is a good FCS team. But they only beat them by 14 at home. And then they beat Arizona State, who's in just as much disarray as Oklahoma State is on the road. And then the last two games have just been real bad for them. They feel like a team that's on the verge of collapse. When they do, it's going to be ugly. Like that 48-0 kind of loss that they had last year, the same team. It doesn't just feel like a down year to me either. Uh, I really don't know where this program is headed. I would probably take under their, their 21.5 team total if we're talking uh, talking bets here. Minus 125 at FanDuel. Don't hate that. That and uh, Lane Kansas State in the first half are probably my two favorite favorite bets on the board here. Got to mention it. Nobody's better against the spread than Chris Kleiman in the FBS. He's got 64% cover rate, and that includes being 4-1 and one against the spread as a road favorite. But I'd bet that he covers the opening line rather than where this line may close at if we're uh, splitting hairs here. I want to move over to the Big Ten, specifically the Big Ten West. 
We have a fun one here. You know this game is going to be all sorts of weird. We have the Nebraska Cornhuskers on the road at the Illinois Fighting Illini. Uh, Illinois is a three-and-a-half point home favorite, and this game has an over-under of just 43 points. So expecting more of an NFL score here than a collegiate one. Kicks off Friday night at 8 p.m. on FS1. This is the game where win may be a little bit of a factor. We're talking 12 to 15 mile an hour, sustained wins, higher wind gusts expected. That is not going to taper as the game goes on. Both of these teams are coming off getting their doors absolutely blown off. Nebraska, they narrowly avoided their first home shutout since 1963 or their first shutout of any kind since 1996 against Michigan. And Illinois, I say they just got sat on in the second half. Uh, they got outscored 28-6 by Purdue, who looked pretty good. Uh, Purdue looking like they, they have a, a ton of life here in the Big Ten West. Uh, Nebraska, safety Deshaun Singleton is out indefinitely. He is now the eighth Cornhusker, out indefinitely or for the season. So there's some bad injury bug going around Nebraska. Linebacker Luke Reimer is also out on Friday. Illinois, they have an injury of their own. Leading rusher Reggie Love, he's questionable to play. He did not play last week. Uh, I would say that they missed him dearly last week getting beat 44-19, to although I suppose Reggie Love doesn't play defense for them. Jeff Sims, he's not 100% yet. Uh, healthy per Marcus Satterfield. That's probably for the best. I, I don't know if there's a world in which he makes this offense better in the lineup. You get the higher ceiling. You get the rushing. You get some playmaking. But boy, does it come with a lot of turnovers and boneheaded throws. So I really think he's a net zero to Heinrich Harburg. And he hasn't even been that good either. He's got 53% completion rate, 6.6 yards per attempt. He's been sacked eight times in his last two outings. He's banged up from that probably. Uh, he t- I'm going to be honest, he just takes way too dang long in the pocket. His average time to throw is about three seconds. For reference, it's two and a half seconds to get the ball. 1,001, 1,002, ball's got to be out now. He's been sacked four times when he has not been blitzed. That's his own darn fault on that one. Again, holding the ball just too long, indecisive, uh, maybe blanket cover. The receivers aren't great, but you still got to get rid of the football or takeoff or something. He's actually accounted for 18% of his own pressures on the season. That is the third most in the Big Ten. On the Illinois side, on, on defense, we have Jerzon Newton. We know about him. He's a preseason All-American, all-conference, all a caliber player, and he's been a one-man show. He has 19 pressures, which accounts for 58% of Illinois' total pressures this season just coming from Jerzon Newton. Nobody else is getting close. Illinois is dead last in early down success rate allowed, and Nebraska's offense is 103rd in early down success rate on offense. So, we have an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object on early downs here. Who wants it less, I think, is what it's going to come down to. On the flip side, uh, they average the fifth longest third down distance of anybody in the country, that being Illinois. So they always have a long way to go on third down. Luke Altmeyer, it's sad. I, I wanted Luke Altmeyer to be good. I uh, stood behind him at Ole Miss. And he's just not been it. Uh, he's had seven interceptions. That is tied for most in the nation. The third lowest ADOT in the Big Ten and 127th, uh, resulting, I should say, in 127th in net EPA. Brett, I have a friend who's a big Nebraska fan. He's always texting me, Kelly, you're not talking about Nebraska enough on any of your outlets, podcasts, whatever that you're doing. Uh, so, Ian, here's for you. Uh, it's not going to change my breakdown of it, but we're talking Nebraska here. You can thank Brett and thelines.com for giving you this opportunity to hear about them. At first glance, Brett, you could almost view these teams interchangeably from a numbers standpoint. With both teams at 2-3 and three overall, 0-2 oh in conference play, this is a big game, 
for all the wrong reasons for these teams. Uh, each of these teams have an above-average defense, and I'll call it what it is, a bad offense. Each have 0.8 fewer wins than expected through Week 5. That ranks number 107 and 108 nationally on the over-under-achiever list. So they're very similar in terms of what they're looking like right now. But in terms of trying to differentiate, Illinois' chances to go bowling have fallen from 75% in the preseason to 31%. Nebraska's chances have fallen from 63 to 21 The difference in this game could be home field advantage. I have Illinois minus 3.5. It's a 60% win expectancy. Uh, despite the model picking Illinois, the Illini's power rating has fallen 6.5 points this season. That's the seventh largest negative movement in FBS during the year. This change is due primarily to Illinois' defense taking a huge step back this season. They fell from top 10 nationally to number 50 currently. And again, I know their D coordinator left, head coach at Purdue now, and you've got new players, all that stuff. But anytime you're going from top 10 to number 50, that's a big fall in one year. And it's maybe suggesting that the fall is not completed yet. They continue to fall every single week. They really need to pick it up on that side of the ball to avoid finishing even lower. For Nebraska, it's been the offense to blame for the underachieving. They've fallen from number 68 in the preseason. They're now number 98 nationally. Listen, I think Rule is a good coach. I think he is the answer at Nebraska. We've seen what he's done to turn around college football programs that have struggled right before his arrival. Usually takes him a year or two to, to get that train turned around. But once he does, man, they're in good shape. Nebraska's got the history. Nebraska's got you know the prestige. They can do this. Uh, it's going to hurt that we're getting rid of divisions there for Nebraska's chances to do it. But Rule is the guy, I think. It's just not happening this year, which is okay. He's in his first year. Nebraska's defense is barely better than Illinois', um, while the Illini have a slightly better offense. It should be a competitive game. Um, but since it's in Champaign, the model's taking Illinois. Bottom line, Illinois minus 3.5. It's a 40% chance that Nebraska enters its off week on a high note with a conference win. Brett, this game is not projected to have much impact on the race to win the West division. Um, given that these teams are already 0-2 in conference play and the relative projected strength of Wisconsin and Iowa, again, relative to the rest of the division, just not much impact here. Um, but the loser, it's, it could get ugly for the loser if you're sitting there at 0-3 in conference play, 2-4 and on the season. That's where seasons start to get sideways. So um, this game's a big game, just not for some of the reasons that these fans would probably want. And it's coincidental timing that we're talking about Illinois' defense taking a massive step backwards because we just saw on uh, Monday Night Football the Seattle Seahawks, Devon Witherspoon having the, the game of the year uh, for a rookie. He had a, had a score, just shut down, sacks. Like, he had a heck of a game. And, uh, yeah, I think Illinois misses him just a, just a smidge out there along with all the other guys that also departed. Early betters move this line from minus 3.5 to minus 2.5. For just a hot second before everybody came in and bought up all the threes. So if you weren't hitting refresh on Sunday afternoon, uh, you definitely missed out on uh, the best of the line. Even if you were doing that, you probably still messed out on the best of the line. It, it was there for for a second. And I don't I don't think we're going to see three again, to be honest here. With a total this low, I think I lean Nebraska with the points. Oh, that feels awful to say, but... I've seen some competent football from the Huskers this year, even if it's few and far between. You know, they put the clamps on Minnesota, a, a game they should have won. I know should have, would have, could have, the story of the Nebraska Cornhuskers for the past half decade. <laughs> it um, certainly is. But, but I haven't seen any competent football from Illinois this year whatsoever. They probably should have lost to, to Toledo in, in week one. 
Nebraska can at least lean on that defense, like you alluded to, especially against an offense like Illinois. Like you said, it's slightly better, but it's not great. Uh, Illinois, I don't think they can lean on their defense. The only team that has not scored 20 points on them was FAU, and FAU starting quarterback Casey Thompson tore his ACL early in the game. So they're dealing with a backup here. And, and mind you, that's a game Illinois probably could have lost too. So we're talking about a, a two wins here against a group of five teams that they didn't, neither one was convincing. Uh, it probably could have gone either way for both of those. So I hate this, uh, but my bet here is Nebraska plus three and a half. Matt rules 18 and eight against the spread as a road dog for whatever that's worth. If you just need a tiny little push, a 1% push to click on Nebraska plus three and a half, um, that's going to be my bet this time around. I hate that. I, I really do. I, I hate betting on the Big Ten West. It always feels bad. Anyway, hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and growing, mind you. Get live updates in our college football channel and join a sharp and very active community, especially on these weeknight games. Everybody's got eyeballs on it. Everybody's got a bet in. It's a lot of fun there. Don't forget to subscribe to Align's YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long. And subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you're using these days. And the best way to help us grow and reach new college football betting fans is to drop us a good review if you like the show. Let us know in the YouTube comments uh, what you're betting, whether you agree with us, disagree with us. There's been plenty of that going on. Uh, Kelly, please let everybody know where they can find you on social media. For sure, Brett. You can find me at KFord Ratings, the website KFordRatings.com. Also writing a couple articles per week over at TheLines.com with the watchability scores and then also comparing my most deserving rankings to the AP poll. Uh, so a lot of fun, a lot of content for the lines. And, uh, yeah, Brett, we're in it. We're halfway through. Let's keep it rolling, man. It's going to be a fun week of college football. Well, thank you so much, as always, for watching. I am Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.